and giving. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And as you're turning there, let me uh, clear up just a little confusion about the poinsettias. Uh, the, the poinsettias are $10 a piece. There was a little confusion this morning at the uh, Connection Center about them being seven. The cost to us is actually $7, but every time you buy a poinsettia, I know it's supposed to be poinsettia, but I don't say it right, so no. Uh, every time you buy a poinsettia, $3 of what you are giving, purchasing, goes to, right now, Lottie Moon. We did this at Easter with Annie Armstrong when you bought the Easter lilies. The proceeds went to Annie Armstrong. Last Christmas we did it with the proceeds going to Lottie Moon. So uh, that's where the confusion came from. Our cost is $7. We are asking for 10 But you're giving $3 to missions every time you buy a poinsettia. And I can think of no better use of that money than to go to share the gospel uh, with Lottie Moon around the world. So uh, we're glad to do that. Also, one more correction from the bulletin. Uh, talking to Scott this morning, we need to have your money, your order for your poinsettia by November 26th, Sunday, not Wednesday, November 29th. We need to have it by November 26th. It's changed on the form when you fill it out, but it's not changed in the bulletin, so just take note of that. We are talking about generosity today. The, The fourth message in our series, Bring in the Harvest, Giving to God What He Deserves, and requires, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians six, or 2 Corinthians nine six through fifteen. Now, this morning I am talking as specifically about money as I, I will for the rest of the series. Uh, I talked very specifically about it the first Sunday when we uh, preached from Malachi. Uh, this morning I'm talking specifically about money as well. But in reality, this morning's message is less about money and more about the heart. That's where this stems from. Uh, This is a continuation of Paul's letter, obviously, to the Corinthian church. Chapters 8 and 9 was the section of the letter talking about an offering he was taking up for the uh, poor of Jerusalem. uh, We talked about, we used chapter 8, the first part of chapter 8, two Sundays ago. Uh, under the sermon title, Give Yourself. And he talks about before y'all, they did anything in Macedonia, the Macedonian church, before they gave any money, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And that was the point. Well, he, he continues to encourage uh, the church in Corinth to uh, continue the process of taking up this collection that he has uh, been a part of. But he still never mentions throughout these two chapters the word money. We talked about that two weeks ago. He uses uh, uh, words like giving and grace and opportunity and, and love and uh, fellowship. He uses a lot of words for this action, but he never mentions money specifically because it's a heart issue. Because what he is getting at with the church in Corinth is their heart. So, just I, I have this series, I've used more quotes from other people than I have in any other series, but there were just so many good quotes, I thought this is a good way to introduce the sermons every week. Uh, the first quote is from Johnny Hunt. He's pastor of First Baptist Church Woodstock in Atlanta, Georgia. He said, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. Johnny Hunt is one of my favorite preachers. Uh, you, you ask me who I like, who I like to listen to, 
It's James McDonald in Chicago. It's Tony Evans in Dallas, and it's Johnny Hunt in Atlanta. He is absolutely one of my favorites. He uh, he knows how to turn a phrase, and he's right. Generosity is not excuse me. Generosity is not based on your wealth, but your willingness. Martin Luther, uh, uh, October thirty first, we celebrated the five hundredth anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the uh, castle church in Wittenberg. Wittenberg, if you're going to hold me to uh, correct pronunciation. Um, He said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. You can hear the theme of what we're going to read and you'll recognize it here in a minute when we read the scripture. And then lastly, Kelly E. Minter, uh, a Bible study, uh, ladies Bible study writer, leader, musician in her book, All Things New, on 2 Corinthians, her Bible study, All Things New, said, I have become less rich for people, but I have yet to become poor for anyone. It's one thing for me to skim off the top of my abundance and another thing to scrape off a layer of my pleasures or savings, but it is something entirely different altogether to get down to the subterranean floor of all I have and give it to someone else that they might become rich. This is the way of Jesus. Generosity was absolutely the way of Jesus. The New Testament standard for giving, for giving to a special offering like Paul was doing for uh, the, the church in Jerusalem or just to give in general to the church was not a tithe, but sacrificial giving. We talked about way back when we talked about a priest from Malachi, that the tithe was the Old Testament standard, but the New Testament standard was generosity to the point of sacrifice. That is the New Testament standard for giving. The tithe would be our beginning point because for some of us this morning, to get up to 10% would be a huge, generous sacrifice on our parts, and I understand that. And that is the the beginning point to, to generosity. But the New Testament calls for us to be generous beyond a percentage, beyond uh, a certain uh, amount that we have in mind. In this passage in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul presents four principles, four statements of fact of generous giving. And there's actually more here there than just that. Uh, he, uh, there's, there are broader themes of benefits of generous giving, and I'm going to kind of touch on those as I go, but uh, it it made a a better, more concise, and we all like that word, right, more concise message to just point out these four principles. Read with me 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So Paul is encouraging them to give generously, uh, to, to, to dig deep and say, Lord, what would you have me give? That's, that's where he begins. But we're going to see four principles uh, in this passage, four principles of generous giving, not just giving, but of generous giving. Principle number one, bountiful giving leads to bountiful rewards. Stingy giving leads to stingy rewards. We see that in verse six right off the bat. Now, considering the ministry to rather, sorry, six, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. I'm going to shock you with this, and y'all are going to marvel at my theological, my exegetical, my sermonic ability. This is a farming analogy. I know, y'all are just, wow. How did he come up with that on his own? I didn't. It was in a commentary. Uh, it's a farming analogy, clearly, right? Paul's telling them when, you, when, you, when, you, when the farmer goes out, and especially today, uh, uh, we don't, that they are more precise farmers today, I believe, because they have machines that do the, the work for them. But if, if you are a, a home farmer, um, I know corn, you might do this, but. but I don't have a garden. How many of you in here keep a garden every year? You, you have a garden and you, and you work it and all this stuff. I'm, ta I'm not talking about your feeding uh, half the country. I'm talking about just your house. Okay. Corn, I believe, you poke a hole and you, you put the kernel in, right? Do you just put one in each hole? Yes or no? No. Couple, three. Why? In case one of them's bad, in case one of them doesn't grow. So you put three or four or five in the hole to make sure you get one good stalk out of that, that hole. And you move to the next hole. And, and like I say, y'all do it by hand, I guess. You don't have the machines. The do, folks who do this for a living, they've got the machines that roll and spit the seed in the hole in the ground, all this stuff, and it's really neat. But Paul's analogy then for you farmers works. You know you, in order to get a harvest... You have to plant more seed than you expect to grow. Or, or, or you have to put in more seed, maybe not than you expect to grow, but you've got to invest more seed than might seem reasonable to those of us who don't farm. But you know that if you put, let's say five, if you put five seeds of corn into that hole and you get one stalk of corn, what's that? Three, four, five ears? Somebody nod if I'm on track. Are y'all dead? Y'all don't plant corn? Well, then that was a horrible analogy. Why did y'all encourage me on that? Well, it does. Three to four, five years of corn. There, I said it. You're getting a lot of return, aren't you? 
you get maybe one ear of corn will be all the seeds you need for the next year, depending on how you plant. Maybe two ears if you're planting a big garden. So you see, you see the analogy? The more you plant, the more you grow. If you want to double your crop next year, you don't plant the same amount of seed. You plant more seed. The more you grow, the more you have to replant. It, it's, a, it's a very simple analogy. Everybody uh, that Paul was talking to would have gone, well, sure, of course, we know that, Paul, duh. Well, exactly. You know that on a physical, temporal realm. You know that in your own life when you're planting food for your family. But now we're talking about the miracle of God's multiplication. We're talking about the miracle of God taking a small gift and making it something much bigger than what we could have imagined. We think immediately of the boy with his uh, five loaves and two fish. Someone told me recently that he has uh, increased his tithe today, beginning today, he's going to do it again in January. And his, his comment was, well, that's, you know, it's not much. And I said, oh, no, 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 it is a, it is a lot. Because in God's hands, it is a major gift. And it's something that he can take and multiply. And when the church united in that idea, all does it, then God is really going to multiply and produce a bountiful harvest among our people. No farmer considers sowing a loss of seed. No farmer says, well, you know, I didn't have a good crop this year because I had to replant it. Boy, if I'd just been able to keep everything that grew, I'd have been okay. But no, I had to replant some of it. Can you believe that? They don't, they don't go at it that way. If they have a, a good crop, they're thinking, ah, great, I can now plant the other 40 in whatever it is they plant around here. Uh, I can replant, I can plant more acreage. I can get more next year because I have sowed uh, uh, generously. But of course, if I put one kernel of corn in each hole, one corn seed in each hole, and half of it doesn't make because I wasn't generous in my sowing, then next year I'm going to be very uh, stingy in my reaping. So we get the analogy, but we cannot neglect the God factor. It works in farming, and Paul's going to go on to tell them, and you don't even really understand how it works in farming. You plant, but God's the one that provides seed, and God provides the rain and the and he doesn't say this, nutrients, he, uh, the nutrients, the growth. You know, you just plant it, and you wait a while, and you pick it. God's doing all the work. That's the same thing he's saying here about our financial giving. When we give to God, we are sowing. We are not losing. Every time we give an offering, whether it's our regular tithe, whether it is our, uh, our offering to Lottie Moon, uh, like we do at Christmas, or the Georgia Barnett offering for state missions in September, or the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions that we do whenever Easter falls. Regardless of what we're doing, or if we're giving to something locally, like we've taken up for our children's home, Baptist children's home, or uh, a disaster relief, or any number of other things, you are sowing with God. You're not giving to a group. You're not giving to an organization. You're not even giving to a church. You are giving to God, incidentally, which is next week's sermon title, Give to God. That's who we're giving to. So we trust him with what we're giving. Everything we lay up with him, Martin Luther said, everything I have given to him 
I've still got. That is how God's economy works. So principle one, bountiful giving leads to bountiful rewards. No, I'm not promising you're going to get rich. Paul's going to cover that here in a couple of minutes too. That is not the promise. The promise is reward. The, financial, the, the, the promise isn't financial prosperity. And Paul, I think, was very careful in how he worded that. Principle number two that we see in this passage is that God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Where does our heart come up with the idea to give? As a human, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. But as a Christian, we have a new heart. So when we are led to give an amount, that comes from God. That is God's leading for us to give, especially if our first response to whatever we felt led to give is, I can't do that. Then that's almost certainly God telling you to do it. Because he will always give you what you need to give. He will always tell you and guide you in your giving if you will listen. And that's how we see we get to this cheerful, God-loving, a cheerful giver because it begins with God's command anyway. It begins with his guidance of how we should give and, and what we should give and when, should we, when, when we should give. Cheerful giving, then, is the opposite, Paul says, of reluctant or grudging giving or coerced giving. That's why... That's one of the reasons why preaching sermons on giving is so hard on a pastor. I do not want to coerce you to give. I don't want to coerce you to give more. I don't want you to grudgingly next week say, well, Michael's going to keep preaching on giving if I don't give more, so I guess I will. There. Maybe you'll shut up now. That's not what the Scripture calls for. So my goal, my purpose here for, for, for today and, and, and every day, but when talking about giving, is to tell you what the Bible says about giving. And let God coerce you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and tell you what to give. Because if I do it and that's your attitude, then you're not getting the, the blessing, the reward that you would have gotten otherwise. And, and when it says God loves a cheerful giver, we think of love as the opposite of hate. In this circumstance, and often throughout the Bible, that's not the way love is used. Love is used as acceptance. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob have I accepted, Esau have I rejected. There, there's a difference. Now, you, you, will, you could make, you could attempt to make, well, if God rejects you, he hates you. Well, not if it is for a particular calling. That's for a different sermon series. We're not getting into that today. But here, what we see is that God approves or blesses the cheerful giver when it says that God loves the cheerful giver. He approves or he blesses. Well, why would he do that? Well, because you are acting in obedience to what he's already told you to give. The, when we go, go back to Acts, when we get back there, where we are in chapter 3 uh, in, in Acts, as we continue to move through that book after Christmas, we will find that how exactly people were, were giving. 
And we're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, gave to the church and then got killed because, uh, because their gift was improper. Now, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the punchline on that. They weren't struck down by God because they didn't give enough. They, didn't, they weren't struck down by God because they didn't give 10% plus an offering or didn't have a particular amount. They ended up getting struck down because they said they were giving one thing to the church, told the church, hey, we're giving this amount, when in fact they had only given a, a much smaller portion than what they said. They were, they were basically killed for lying to the church and misrepresenting God to the people. God had led them to do what they did, led various people throughout the church to do what they did. But they gave begrudgingly, they gave reluctantly, and they certainly did not receive the blessing of God's favor in that circumstance. Now, I'm not going to tell you God's going to strike you down for your, the amount you give or don't give or that kind of thing. I don't believe that was a standard that God uses anymore for how he deals with us when we don't do what we're supposed to. But it is a warning to us how uh, strictly and how, uh, how important our attitude in giving is. Because remember what I said, this is not about the amount you give. This is, the heart, this is about the heart with which you give it. A reluctant or, or grudging giver is not guaranteed the blessing of God's favor. And that is a promise that we can count on. Principle number three, Paul goes on to say, in, in your giving, in your generous giving, don't be concerned about where you will get what you need to give. Because he tells them that God provides all that is needed. And he's telling them that it provides all that has, is needed in your life, period. Everything. Verses 8 through 10. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so in every way, always having everything you need, I will always have everything I need, you may excel in every good work. In this particular instance, he is talking about the work of giving generously. God will make sure you have everything you need, and then will provide what you need in order to be generous. As it is written, verse 9, He distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Not increase the harvest of your crops, which for us today would be increase the harvest of your bank account. Not that you will make more money at work, but he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. God provides all that you need. So first of all, you will have all you need in verse 8. You will have what you need to, to live on, and you will have what you need to give. If God says give X amount, he will provide you what you need to give and provide you what you need to live. And then he says in verse 9, just to make it clear why he is able to do that, he says, it's God that provides all you have anyway. He distributed freely to the he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Everything you have is from God anyway. And this is where we really get to the heart, the spiritual part of giving. As we think, we feel like we're giving what is ours to the church. 
when in fact we are giving what is God's to God. We are merely stewards. We're not owners. We are merely giving, given these things to use as he tells us to. This is mine, God says. Now I want you to use it in this way. And he may say, you can keep it and use it in this manner. Or he may say, you need to give this part to me, and I will use it as I see fit. It's God that provides it all anyway. And what he is getting us to understand here, especially as he moves into verse 10, is that refusal to give generously reflects a lack of faith in God to provide. Why do we not give when we feel that compulsion, when we feel that Holy Spirit work in our heart, when we, we know we need to give to something, whatever it may be, whether it's the guy on the side of the street or some special offering at the church, when we know we're supposed to do it, what is our number one reason for not? I can't afford it. Oh, we'll rationalize it by saying, well, the guy on the street, he'll use it for bad things. That's the way we rationalize not wanting to spend the money, usually. I would contend. I'll just speak for myself here and say that's my heart. I can rationalize it one way, but I know what the deal is. I'm thinking I can't afford it. But what God is saying is if you refuse to give generously when, we, when he tells us to, then what we are saying is, God, I don't trust you to take care of me. It is a lack of faith on our part. And then he makes that clearer in verse 10 when he says, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will also provide, multi provide and multiply your seed. Generous giving is part of our sanctification. The sanctification is what's supposed to happen from the day we get saved until the day we die. We become more like Jesus every day. And it's a process. And we, we work at it. We, we, there are days when we fail at it. Well, I can't do those things anymore. That's not like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. So the sanctification of our lives is a process. Part of that is how we treat our finances. And part of how we treat our finances is the willingness to give generously when God commands and trust him that he will provide everything that we need after we have given more than we think we can afford. The spiritual side of this, the, 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 the deeper meaning here is that we are made spiritually rich. As I said, I will not promise you financial riches. I'm not going to tell you to sow a seed of faith in First Baptist Sulphur. I'm not going to send you any holy water or a prayer rag or anything like that. I'm going to tell you to give to God and He will respond spiritually. And we see that when we move into principle number four. But get this, generous giving is a heart issue where God blesses. That is the location of the blessing. Not at Chase or Capital One or First National, but in your heart is where God will bless the generosity of your giving. And that leads us to principle number four. Generosity leads to thanksgiving to God. Our generosity has a direct effect on our relationship to God. Not just our sanctification, but our sanctification. But our sanctification results in a process of giving thanks and worshiping God. Verses 11 through 14. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity. You'll be provided what you need, right? You're enriched in every way for generosity. 
which produces thanksgiving to God through us. And then Paul makes it clear, for this ministry, of, of the, the, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's not only doing the work of the gospel, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And then he gets specific about how the relationship between the Gentile Christians in Corinth giving to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would begin to break down those ethnic barriers between the, the two churches. That's what he's talking about in verse 13. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. This will prove to those, who, those naysayers in the church in Jerusalem that say Gentiles can't be Christians or have to go through some process to be a Christian. This will prove to them that that is not the case. And they will what? Praise you for it? No, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them that particular offering and with everyone the generosity that they show in all of their giving. Verse 14, And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. How many of you don't like it when people pray for you? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. And what Paul is saying here is that your generosity and giving will lead these people to thank God for you, but also to pray for you. I guarantee you, missionaries, when we send some sort of gift to them, like for Bible school and uh, uh, the uh, offering for Rock Ministries in Orlando, and I can't think of their names off the top of my head, Amy, and I put you on the spot so that she can't either. Uh, Rock Ministries in Orlando. I guarantee you now we as a church are on their prayer list because of what we, I hate to put it this way, what we've done for them because of our gift to them $1,500, $1,700, something along in there, uh, that we sent to them, they now pray for us. They thank God for us. That's a spiritual change. That's a spiritual uh, result of our generosity. Generosity leads to thanksgiving to God. God is who our giving, uh, is, who our giving is about anyway. When you give, as I've said, when you write your tithe check when you give to offering you're not giving to Lottie Moon you're not giving to the church you're not giving to Annie Armstrong or any convention you're giving to God that is what Paul is saying here in verses 11 through 14 that it's all about him it's really not about the numbers that you fill in it's really not about uh, what is being done at the convention level or at the church level. It is about your willingness to be obedient to God and to give to Him. When we give and we see in our lives uh, abundance to continue to give, our worship and our thanksgiving should, I probably should have put that word in there, should turn to God. Uh, if you give generously to something, and let's just say for, an, for a moment, you get all of that back. What would happen? What would you think if God told you, okay, now get all, give all that again? 
but God, this is supposed to be my reward for giving. I gave X and, and, and got it back. Shouldn't I get to keep it? No, because it's not yours. Or let, me, let me bring it home a little, little bit. Uh, many of you have been very gracious to the staff uh, in this uh, past October um, with financial gifts to us, and we greatly appreciate that. But what if I came to one of you and said, you gave me this amount, gave my family this amount, but you know what? We're going to take that amount, and we're just going to put it straight into Lottie Moon. Would you be offended by that? I hope not. I hope you would praise God that you got to be a part of something bigger than just, just thanking me. And while I would appreciate the thanks, we should rejoice in the fact that God had led me to give that amount to something greater than just us, just paying our bills or going out to eat one night. No, God led us to give that to the gospel. I'm not saying I've done that. I'm paying bills or going out to eat. But I'm saying, what if? What if? Because that's a heart reflection. That's, that, that's something that goes on inside of us. If your visceral reaction was, oh, I didn't give that to him to give to missions. Well, no, you gave that to me to bless me. And then God said, give it away. What you did was you gave it to me or you gave it to somebody to use as God told them to use. That's where we should be thinking when we give. We should be thinking that. And then we give thanks for the opportunity in whatever manner, through whatever channels, to give to God. Because when we give and we see that bless somebody, we see then it bless God. Is this not the very thing we celebrate, will celebrate tonight at our harvest meal? Our harvest meal is supposed to be about coming together as a family. Thanksgiving in, 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 in November is supposed to be about coming together as a family and thanking God for everything he has done, the abundance that he has given, and then giving it back, doing something to thank him for it. In our case, as a church, we come together to worship and to share a meal. But the whole reason for it is because of what God has done for us throughout the year what if God he hadn't said this but what if God told us as a church and it wasn't just me I stood up on Sunday morning and said do this there were people that came to me and said you know what I feel like God is doing is telling us to do this and I said you know what I've kind of felt like that too what if what if God told us those of us who have bought 180 tickets for the meal, what if God said, y'all don't go eat? Invite some homeless people. Serve them the meal. Feed them. God, that's my plate of food. I paid $6 for a ticket for me. And God's going to say, no, that's, that's my plate of food. It's my six dollars. You're mine, believer. What would we do? Some of us get fussy about it. Some of us would have a problem with giving the blessing away. Not all of us. And, and most of us, I think, would probably eventually come around. Now, again, this is one of those other things. This is not something I've, I feel like we should do, but what if? 
What if? Because it is not ours. It's God's. And our blessing, our benefit, our giving leads others to glorify and give thanks to God as well. Imagine what would happen in our town if we invited 180 not just homeless people, but impoverished people, and said, look, you've got a free meal of whatever wonderful food Becky and her committee have put together for us tonight, turkey and dressing and, and all the fixings. Imagine how God would be glorified in that, how God would get praise in that, how God would receive thanksgiving in that from people who might not otherwise glorify God. You want an example? I talked about him last week. David and Araona. The response of Araona when, when David said, I'm gonna, I, I need your threshing floor. And Araona said, you're not buying that for me? I'll give it to you. And David said, mm, no, far be it from me to make any sort of sacrifice, any offering to God that cost me nothing. David's faithfulness, David's generosity, David's willingness to give changed Araona's life, if only for a moment. And Araona responds with, may your God, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember, be pleased with you. May this work out in your favor, your willingness to give. Our generosity results in prayer and thanksgiving to God. So, this morning, let's paraphrase, let's recap. Give generously because generosity yields abundance. When we give God responds. When we give generously, God responds generously. We have the promise. We know it works that way. Give generously because God approves of it. If God says give an amount and we give an amount, then we know God is approving of that. God is accepting that gift and then will respond in like kind with us with our blessing or our reward or our abundance. Give generously because God will take care of you. God will not guarantee financial success and financial uh, 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 excess and wealth, but he promises he will take care of you. He promises that if you are generous, he will be generous with you. Give generously because generous giving is and leads to worship. David built the altar on the threshing floor of Araona because it was his worship to do so. But his generosity also led to worship because the temple was built in that spot. Because Araona, who was most likely not Jewish, probably a, a, a pagan, we would call him, at least for a moment acknowledged the God of David. Give generously because God gave generously to you, his son. Compare yourself to most of the countries around the world and you can say that you live in the shadow of a generous God. That we have such blessing, we have such abundance in our homes today. But you don't even have to go that far. We don't have to talk about finances. We don't have to talk about the size of our homes or the value of our cars. All we have to look at is what Jesus did for us on the cross. The generous gift of, uh, of Jesus' uh, of God's Son to us. Let me try that again. 
the generous gift of God's Son to us. That's what we need to focus on. If we get that focus correct, generous giving becomes easy. It's not mine anyway. But how could I ever outgive what God has already done for me through his son on the cross? You see, God is holy and just. God will punish sin. He will not let sin run rampant forever. He will punish it because of his justice, because of his, of his holiness. The issue with that is you and I are sinful. Therefore, we will be the recipients of that punishment. We are fallen creatures, and we are destined for an everlasting torment apart from God in a Christless hell. That is our destiny, except for Jesus. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He came, He lived a life of perfection, following God's rules perfectly. Then, He took the cross. And on that cross, He took my sin. He took my sinfulness. But He also took my place. Not only did He take my sin when He went, but I should have been there for my sin. He took both of those while on the cross, dying for everyone, and rising from the dead three days later to prove his victory over sin. Because if he can beat death, he can certainly beat sin. And that's what he did on the cross. And that fixed the sin problem. That fixed the issue that is going to take us from God for eternity. The problem is, it was not automatic for everyone. It is not automatic for anyone. We must repent of our sin we must acknowledge our sinfulness. You know, we can't just take the gift without acknowledging our guilt. It doesn't work that way. I deserve what Jesus got, but because he took my place, I repent of that sin. I place my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, and then I live for him. That's the most important offering you will make, and that is the greatest offering that has ever been made on our behalf, Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Before you get your finances right, before you get anything right, get your eternity right with Jesus by trusting him as Savior this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have provided the greatest gift, the greatest offering ever by offering your son on the cross. Lord, may we not reject such a wonderful gift May we look at the cross and see our, our rightful place there, our earned place there, and respond to the gift of Jesus being in our place there with faith and trust for salvation. And Lord, for those of us who are believers for whom finances have uh, become a stumbling block or a struggle. Lord, may there be freedom this morning because we seek to give generously. We seek to respond to how you have given to us. Lord, and we trust you to take care of any aspect of our finances 
if we will just give in obedience. Lord, work on each and every heart this morning. Draw some lost soul to you today. Draw some wayward Christian back to you today. And draw some struggling Christian to faith in being obedient to what you've called and knowing that you've got it all under control, that we can put it all in your hands, as Martin Luther said. Anything we hold in our hands, we've lost. But Lord, anything we open our hands to you with, we still have. We have everything we need in you, Lord. Impress that on our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision? Do you need to follow Christ? Do you need to do as uh, seven did this morning? Follow in obedience in baptism. Maybe, maybe you, know, you, don't, you don't have the Jesus part right first, but maybe you've done that, but you need to be obedient in baptism. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you need to come up here to these prayer rails and bow before not an altar, but the cross and say, Lord, I need to give some things to you this morning. Get some things right. Whatever your decision is, whatever your need is, I'd be willing to pray with you if that's what you would like. It's open for you up here. But as we stand and sing, you do business with God this morning.